you can repeat the gospel every day mm-hmm. when you go into work. Yeah. Because, yeah, you're a brother now. You've been given, just as I had, a higher status. Mm-hmm. And yet you can willingly choose to become a slave and to serve mm-hmm. in order to show the world yeah. what I did. Like, that's amazing. You can yeah. literally be a picture of the gospel. That's cool. Welcome to the Spoken Gospel Podcast. Spoken Gospel is a ministry that's dedicated to speaking the gospel out of every corner of Scripture. In Luke 24, Jesus told his disciples that every part of the Bible was about him. So each week, hosts David and Seth work through a passage of Scripture to see how it's all about Jesus and his good news. Let's jump in. Welcome, everyone, to the Spoken Gospel Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. We are continuing our time in 1 Timothy. We're in chapter 5. Seth, how you feel about that? I'm feeling good. I'm feeling excited to talk about the way that Paul encourages Timothy to address different members of his church family. Yeah. Well, how did you word it at the end of the podcast last week? It was something like... How to correct your family. How to correct your family. <laughs> That's what it was. Like, wait, what? The reason why I said that was that Paul has a central metaphor for the church uh, right. Paul, Paul uses this household metaphor like the church is God's house it's the assembled of the living God mm-hmm. and as God's house in which God's spirit dwells the members of God's house should act a certain way right and we've pointed out like one of the main reasons for that is so like outsiders will see it and yeah like, and want to be saved. <laughs> yeah. Right, want to be yeah. a part of that we family. We want to be a part of that family. want to be a part of that church. want to yeah. be a part of the assembled of the living God. Yeah. The other, I think, especially having like last week's talk ringing in my ears, I think would be uh, so that the truth will be heard well and seen clearly. Yeah, there's like when the church strives to live the truth, like to s- preach the truth and then live it out and be godly. The world is transformed. Like yeah. th- that is the reason why there's so many ethical commands to different parts of the house of God is in hopes that the witness and the behavior of the church would actually save the world. It yeah. would be like assault in on a piece of meat or like light in the darkness. It would actually transform the mm. place that it's a part of. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. I'm trying to remind myself, uh, like I'm trying to make myself care again. Mm-hmm. about the all the household metaphors okay because yeah. i remember we talked about like roman house code laws and yeah. things can you help me get back into that space <laughs> so paul frequently throughout his letters makes reference or use of this stock idea within roman literature mm-hmm. called the roman household codes yeah so if you read socrates you read or you read aristotle and you read these ancient romans like Seneca or whatever, uh-huh. or just Paul. For sure. They'll uh, they will have reference to this ideal family home where you have uh-huh. a patriarch at the top, a wife, children, and slaves underneath him. It sounded like a Norman Rockwell painting until you got to slaves. <laughs> <laughs> but okay. But okay. I gotcha. Um, and this was the ideal Roman home. It was Roman home. It was the building block. Of Roman society. Oh, right. I remember we talked about how, like, the health and functionality of mm-hmm. how a father ran his house was a picture of how Caesar runs the empire. Yep. And we all need to do that together in order to keep the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome. It yes. depends on how you manage your household. If one house falls, the whole empire That's falls. That's right. And yeah. so, again, if you had Roman churches and Roman households that were Christian mm-hmm. and they were chinks in the armor... They were weak blocks yep. making outsiders look at them and go, you guys are messing up our whole society. That's going to make Christians have a bad name. Right. And, and so how does a Christian household and a church manage itself in such a way that's countercultural because the kingdom of God is counter to the kingdom of Rome. Right. But also in such a way that it's a blessing to be part of the Roman Empire. Yes. That's the tension. That's the tension. Okay. I'm, I'm, I'm all in. You're, you're back in. I'm back in. You're back I'm in. I'm excited. Okay. And so... so in this section, Paul is going to speak to three distinct groups that would have existed in a lot of Roman house, okay. houses. Widows, um, 
elders, and in particular for this context, the elders of the church, the leaders of the church, but also mm-hmm. just elderly men. There was always patriarchs in the home, but also, and then finally slaves. And he's going to address these three different groups of people within God's house. So you got like older women, mm-hmm. well, particularly uh, widows, but yes. widows. But I guess I guess not all widows would be older women. Not all older women are widows. Or no, not all widows would be older women. That's Some true. Some had would their husbands and would die young. He'll actually address okay. that here and too. And you got older men though mm-hmm. would be the elders. Yep. Like the patriarchs of the house. Yep. And I mean in particular here he's talking about the leaders of the, the church. Elder, the elder, the leaders of the church. This is within the it's not just the Roman house. Uh-huh. Okay. That's like the broader metaphorical <laughs> yes. like cultural category. Okay. The category that it now falls narrowing it and saying within the household of God. Okay. How should widows act? How should the elders of the church act? Mm. How should slaves act? And Timothy, how should you correct them when they and lead them when they need it? Okay. That's what's going on. All right. So how does he start this section then? Well, he says, do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Younger mm. men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters in all purity. So, I mean, right away, you, you, you run into the weird countercultural tension thing that I brought up just a second ago where... Uh, I, I remember reading, I can't remember where, but how a lot of the claims against uh, early Christianity from the Roman Empire, like saying that it was a terrible institution and that it should be destroyed, was that they all practiced incest. Because they referred to each other as brother and sister. Because they were like, this family over here who's actually not related to me mm-hmm. is my brother and we're going to all go to this communion thing that we call a love feast. Yeah. Like, what are you guys doing over well, there? You're everyone's brothers and sisters. You're at a love feast <laughs> and you're eating the blood and body of, of your savior. Jesus. That's so you're sad, cannibalistic right? yeah. and sexual. <laughs> right. Yes. Yeah. We're all the people. So like I could see that why was- <laughs> their reputation was already on the line. Yeah. Because you would never in Roman society go up to somebody you're not related to and be like, you are my brother. Right. Like no, that means something very, very specific. Particular. Yeah, yeah. So think about how countercultural then the Christian household is. Yes, it isn't just your blood family. Yeah, it is all people who profess faith in Jesus Christ. They are now your brothers and sisters, your fathers and mothers. Yeah, and in the way that you would have treated them in your own blood family is not the way that you treat all people mm-hmm. in your extended Christian family, right. which would have been. It's countercultural. I mean, it's countercultural today. Oh, I don't totally. treat your. I. I mean, I don't have to treat other people like my brothers and sisters. Right. But in Christ, I should. Right. Yeah. Like on Megan's birthday, my wife. I'm not offended that you didn't. You or Erica didn't call her. Right. right. But I should have probably. But, you know. Right. It's like, <laughs> like she's your sister, man. Call right. your sister. Yes. But it's, it's. Yeah. It is interesting. Okay. So yeah. Right away, then. I guess what you're saying is. He says, you know, you have um, older men in your congregation. Mm-hmm. Treat them like you would a father. Yeah. Right? Is, I mean, that, that's is, is, is he thinking like that's your Roman household dad? I mean, perhaps. Yeah. yeah. I mean, to treat him as you would your father. Timothy's father was a, a Gentile. Uh-huh. He would have been a Roman. Right. You know, we, yeah. um, so treat him like you would your father. And respect. I think yeah. With respect, right. honor, authority, he says, submission. He says, don't rebuke him. You wouldn't go up to your dad and be like, dad. Like I'm coming after you. You you might be like, hey, I just want to encourage you. Like, I, I noticed you doing this. There might be a better way. You would approach that differently than and, an open rebuke. Right. I would confront my brother differently than I would confront my father. That's right. And yeah. Paul is saying though that same natural, intuitive way that you deal with your family mm-hmm. should be the way that you naturally and intuitively deal with God's family. Yeah. Too. Carefully, lovingly, knowing that you're going to have to see them again tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> and think about back to the the qualifications for elders and deacons okay. that Paul's already given Timothy. What's the primary qualification for elders and deacons? Oh, uh, that they manage their household yeah, well. Right. So they're, if their Christianity first doesn't work out in the home, it's not going to work out anywhere else. And right. how they treat their own home is how they should treat the household of God. Like there is a, Really clear parallel there that mm. Paul wants Timothy to execute. Okay, that makes sense. So older okay, older men need to be treated as fathers. Younger men need to be treated as brothers. Older women be treated as mothers and younger women as sisters. So that's all the family stuff. That's all the family stuff. And then he adds in, in all purity. I think, yeah. <laughs> what does that mean? Well, I'm, I think it means treat your sisters with purity. <laughs> 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 oh, do you think the purity is particularly about the younger women? 
I have sisters. read it that way. Okay. Do you have a... I don't know. I have no idea. I was just wondering, like, is it a list? Like, treat the old men as fathers, you know, the brothers, the mothers, and the sisters in all purity. Or is it a couple particularly when you get to young younger women, it's like those would be the ones you would need. Well, to a couple of verses before in verse 12, he says, Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech and conduct and love and faith and in purity. So mm-hmm. there's no reason why, like, treat your fathers, treat your the older men in your congregations like purely mm-hmm. like like you like you should right as, as is appropriate to their position and your position yeah treat your brothers the same way treat your sisters the same way and it's right. just a way to talk about don't bring in a whole bunch of heat because you're angry with your dad to all the older men mm. in your church don't because you're estranged from your brother be distant from your brothers in christ yeah just you know like Let don't lust after your sisters in christ right. either. like it's like yeah treat them appropriately so it's like it could be broader it could be narrower i don't have a good answer yeah that makes sense either way but i think the important thing to take away was one paul is still operating in that metaphor of Mm -hmm. treating god's church got the family of god like your own family right and i think it's good news that this is how god treated us right that's what i was gonna say yeah the good (laughs) news here is that we're in god's family we are in god's family and not just that we now have hundreds of brothers and sisters mm, right. who can treat us with a love that's normally reserved for only very few mm. people in our life. Like what? That's what Jesus says. There's been no one who has left father or mother because of me that will not gain hundreds of mothers and brothers and sisters right. when they enter my house. And this is Paul picking up on that promise totally. and saying, make Jesus not a liar, Timothy. Mm. Right? Like actually multiply the numbers of brothers and sisters that everyone in the community has because yeah. you're one of them. Right. But also this is how God's treated us. He's adopted us as his children. We're told that Jesus is our brother. Yeah. We're told that God is our father. We're told that he's like a mother hen covering us with his wings. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's something I, yeah, don't take enough time. And maybe it's because we don't have a, like a familial rich culture, you know, like that. I just don't, take a lot of time to just sit and think about like the family metaphor of my relationship with God mm-hmm. and my relationship more with my brothers and sisters. Cause I feel like I have to think a lot about me being a, the child of God in order to f- really feel his love for me. Like, yeah, he's my dad. I'm his son. And like, mm-hmm. I have to meditate on that a lot. So that's not so much the problem, but you know, I don't, I don't necessarily think regularly about my local church of just like, a huge grouping of a big family reunion every right. Sunday. Like, yep. And if I, and like how different I would want to treat everyone if I took that very seriously. And the thing about Timothy in particular, who's a young man mm. who's also in a position of leadership within this church. Yeah. So it's actually a pretty fine line to walk as a leader of a, an organization mm. where you have a whole, like it would be easy if you're a leader to treat everybody like your subordinate. Right. But, Right? Like that's yeah. a natural way to treat everybody when you walk into a room and you're the, the, the guy the Apostle Paul chose to lead the church. Right? Yeah. That would be very natural. Yeah. If there's an old guy there who you're supposed to lead, you rebuke him. That's right. Yeah. Easy. And if a sister needs to get in line, she needs to get in line. Right. But uh, instead he's like, nope, whenever there's an old guy, Timothy, treat him like your dad. Yeah. The fact that he's in leadership does not erase his familial responsibilities or the mm. fact that the church is actually God's home, not merely an institution or an organization. Yeah. I'm also thinking like, I mean, how many people have broken relationships with their families, mm-hmm. right? And how the church redeems that. Like it yeah. gives them an opportunity to mend any relationship where it's like you have an estranged sister, the church has sisters for you to connect with. Mm-hmm. You have a brother who ignored you, the church is full of brothers who can love you. Like mm-hmm. you have a dad who left, the church has fathers to surround you with. Mm-hmm. You have a mother who is emotionally distant. The church has mothers who can tenderly love you. It's like the yeah. church can mend any broken relationship that you've experienced in your family. It's just yeah, it's really should... incarnational good news. Yeah. It's not in your head. It's like right there in your house. Yeah. It's just super cool. It's a, a furthering of what he said to Timothy previously. Mm-hmm. Like, by your godliness, you will save yourself and others. When the church acts like the church, mm-hmm. the family of God, the assembled of the living God, it attracts people to it and saves them into a new family. Right. Like that's what yeah. the church is meant to do. It's so cool. And Timothy as his leader is supposed to be the first among equals in that sense. He's supposed to lead the church, be the example 
right. of a perfect brother, a perfect father, a perfect, you know, yeah. child. As, yeah, as he told him in the last chapter, to practice what he preaches. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. So that's like the framing. And then yep. we need to look at three relationships, widows, elders, and slaves. So the first piece of advice that Paul gives to Timothy mm -hmm. is in the treatment of widows inside of his church. Which seems like kind of out of left field. You think that, right? Yeah. Like, Until uh -oh. you go back to the book of Deuteronomy. Wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> what? what? <laughs> That's the nerdiest thing I've ever heard. I was caught off guard by this too. I was like, okay. why, why, are we, why are we starting with widows? Yeah. Like, it's like when you think about a family, it's like... The first person I don't automatically think of is a widow. Mm -hmm. I normally think of my wife or my children. I mean, just like yeah, widows right. does seem out of left field, to your point. Right. Uh, especially in the Roman community, I assume you'd be like, okay, how to get the household in order? Let's talk about dad. Yeah. Right? That's like, right. That's, that's right. The, he's the one who keeps the, he keeps the house together, right? And he starts at, I guess, like almost socioeconomically on the bottom. Yeah. With instead of And he, then he goes to elders second. So it's kind of upside down countercultural yeah. starts with widows but again it makes sense if you go back to the book of deuteronomy as we all as we, as we all do. should and should do every day, every day. <laughs> so whenever uh, god writes down the 10 commandments yes. and gives them to moses right moses walks off the mountain and he sees people partying with a golden calf and he smashes the commandments Kaboom. and then he walks back up and god writes another book of 10 commandments right and he walks back down the mountain yeah and when he walks back down the mountain that second time there's a short explanation of some of the contents of what are in there. And it's not the Decalogue, not uh -huh. the Ten Commandments, but right. just other laws that descend from those Ten Commandments. Does that make like, sense? Don't don't boil a goat in its mother's milk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The ones <laughs> like that, that really like naturally connect the to really the Ten Commandments. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> and in that, in those verses, immediately preceding Moses coming down the mountain with yep. the law of God is... God's description that he is a defender of widows and a father to the fatherless. Mm. One of the first ways that God describes himself to the covenant people of God, to the, God's house, yeah. is as a defender of widows. Mm. And then again, in Deuteronomy 24, 17, we have a repetition of the command, and it's tied to the fact that God is a defender of widows and they should defend widows as God's house because they were brought out of Egypt. Right. And presumably yeah. in Egypt, Egypt did not care for their widows well. Oh. And because they were part of a nation that didn't care for their widows well, they should be a new nation, a new home that takes care of its widows. Ooh, yeah, I get that. So can I, can I do one please ner continue. nerdy thing that yes. just popped in my head? Yes. Is Israel is often referred to. Now, sometimes in the, in the Torah, she's referred to as... Um, a son, like I loved you, mm -hmm. like a son, Israel. Yeah. But a lot of times she's also referred to as a wife. Yeah. And in Egypt, you could see that as a time of her widowhood. Right. That for four hundred years, she was mm -hmm. kind of alone there mm -hmm. until God heard her pleas. That's interesting. Came yeah. to her and rescued her. He's like, you should care for widows in your midst because you were a widow, Israel, and I cared for you. Yeah. Of course, he's a defender of widow. That's what the entire Exodus story was. Was God caring yeah. for widowed? Israel in yeah. the midst of Egypt. I never thought of that before, but that's really interesting. So the point here yeah. is like the idea that God is on the side of the widow yeah. is part of the foundational documents mm -hmm. of Israel as a nation, the people of God as God's home. I see. It's always been in God's intention that the household of God, the mm. household of Israel would be a place where the widows are defended. I got you. Like those, there's those cheesy Hobby Lobby signs. Yeah. I mean, I'm no, I love Hobby Lobby, but there's right. some cheesy signs. There. Yeah. <laughs> and one of them is like, in this house, we, right. and there's like the rules of the house. And we it's defend like, the widows. And yeah, it's like, we pick up laundry and we, we laugh often and we love much. And yeah. it's like, and if God had that sign in his house, he's like, welcome to my house. In this house, we defend widows. Yes. And you're like, whoa, interesting rule to start with God. Uh, in Isaiah uh, chapter one, the way that Israel can measure its justice, the litmus test for justice, is its defense of the widows. Wow. Oh, and then, uh, what is it, Acts? 
Six. Six. The first ministry started by the church yes. is a widow care ministry. Interesting. And then James one twenty seven. What is true religion, does oh, James say? Caring for orphans and widows. Caring for orphans and widows. Mm. So there is something that one of the first ministries a church is supposed to be involved in, just as one of the first aspects of justice God's nation was supposed to be involved in was the defense of widows. Wow. That's why it's I think that's why it's first. Yeah, because it's first on God's heart. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yes. That's really awesome. I, I'm trying to move into the practical sides of this, but I just can't for a second because it's like, it's amazing that widows are first on God's heart. Mm-hmm. You know, like, yeah, when if, if you have if you have a king <laughs> in charge of everything, the first thing on his mind is not going to be widows. They can't do anything for him. Mm, right. Right. They're only going to have to take. They're needy. They're going to be a cost mm-hmm. to his time and his resources. And so let's not talk about them. Let's talk about the rich people in my land who can give me things. The young, strong men who can build my palaces. Right. Right. And instead, God starts with the people who literally don't even, not, not only can they not help him financially or something, he starts with the people who he wants to help, who mm-hmm. need his help first. I just think that's so cool about God. Yeah. And it's interesting, too, that one of the more counterintuitive ways that God describes himself is as a husband. Mm-hmm. And if he's a husband, who's he a husband to? Those who have no husbands. Yeah. Who's he a father to? Well, first, the people who have no fathers. The orphans. The orphans. Um, how gracious of God. Yeah. And so, of course, the first ministry, if that is the, the heart of God, that he's a father to those who have no father, and a husband, and a groom, and a provider mm-hmm. for those who do not have that. Well, of course, the household of God. If God's the head of the house, the patriarch of the house. Yeah. What's the first thing that he's going to make sure happens? That in the his widows house? are cared for. Yeah. Yeah. For him, his house would not be in order if widows are in need. That's right. Okay. Okay, cool. So I get now why widows are right out of the gate, mm-hmm. but I know also that something is going on with widows in Timothy's church uh, yeah. with their widow care ministry, right? Yeah. So apparently there was a list that you could get on within okay. in the church of Ephesus, and that list allowed you to access a certain amount of funds to provide for you if you had no one to provide for yourself. Okay. The widow care ministry list. Yes. And, and if you were if you were eligible, you could get on the list and the church would give you some money every month or however often in order to meet your needs. Right. The church would be your financial husband. That's right. Yeah. Because God is a God who provides for those. Right. right. So good idea. Great idea. Great program. Great program. But something's wrong with it. Yeah. There was a group of women who were taking advantage of the widow care ministry dun, dun, dun. <laughs> um, potentially connected to the group of women who in first Timothy two, who seem to be teaching over Timothy or uh, usurping his teaching authority influenced by the false teachers in some way, carrying on all the, the useless myths and everything. Yeah. Spinning old wives tales. So perhaps with the same group of women, there's a, yeah. a group of widows who are part of the central, like, Central click of the false teachers. Okay, yes, know, right. Anyway. And they are typically younger. It's kind of difficult to read between the lines. It can sound like Paul's just making stereotypes about widows. Uh, verse 11, refuse to enroll younger widows, for when their passions draw them away from Christ, they desire to marry, and they incur condemnation for having abandoned their former faith. Oh, man. Wait, all younger widows uh, get drawn away by their passions and want to abandon the faith? Right. And they become idlers going from house to house, and their gossips and busybodies? Like... Paul, it feels like you're overgeneralizing, painting a broad brush here. And I think more than likely what he's describing is describing a group of women who have abandoned their former faith, verse 12, Mm -hmm. and have given the adversary an occasion for slander, verse 14. Which would be a way he's been describing the false teaching. Right. And verse 15, they've already strayed after Satan, another way that he's described the false teaching. So, yeah, it's probably safe to say he's honing in on this clique of women who are propagating the false teaching. Yeah, and they are idling, busybody, teaching false things. Because you're Mm -hmm. saying they're on this widow's list, Mm -hmm. the church is paying their monthly expenses, so they don't have anything to do. They don't have a family necessarily to take care of. They don't have, like, a job to go do. Right. They just get to be idle and gossip all day. They're taking advantage of the church's generosity. Uh Teaching, false teaching. Okay, and so what is his... He has advice for them. I can't remember what... He he says... Does he say, don't put them on the list? Is that his advice? Well, so part of it's like, so you should take them off the list Uh is the the implication. And instead, he says, I advise younger widows to get married, bear children, manage their households, and give the adversary no occasion for slander. And instead, 
If they have relatives who are widows, let them care for her and let the church not be burdened so that it may care for those who are truly widows. Oh, I, I understand. So even so, you might have these younger widows mm-hmm. th- uh, who have maybe a mom who is a, a widow and maybe yeah. both of them are on the church's registry right. for being helped. And Paul's like, listen, you younger widows, mm-hmm. go ahead and get remarried, right? Have a husband, uh, have kids, manage your household well. And then with your husband's salary and the management of your household, support your mom who's a widow. Right. Get her off the list too right. so we can help people who literally have no one to help them. Yes. Because they're being overlooked or maybe the budget is having to spread yeah. too thin that people aren't being helped as much as they need. Something, Something like that. Something like that. Okay. And I think we pointed out in our off-air, but like this is a there's a really good example of this in Scripture in Ruth and Naomi. Yes. Naomi, you have this older widow. Ruth and Naomi are both widows. They're both widows. In the book of Ruth. Yep. Um, one young, one who opens the book saying, I'm past childbearing age. Right. Ruth takes it upon herself to provide for her widowed mother, propose yep. to a man, and fix the situation. That's right. The, that's the short version yeah, of the yeah, story. Yeah, yeah. She does yeah. what Paul commands the other widows here to do. Yes. She's like a living example of what that could look like in action. Totally. Okay. And then Paul says, okay, so that's what you shouldn't do. Here's who should be on the list. Mm-hmm. What I was struck by as I was reading through this, Paul doesn't just list neediness mm. as um, a qualification for getting on the widow's list. Okay. So I would have expected it. Well, if you're a widow, we'll help you. We'll help you. Right. But he lists a whole bunch of other stuff besides being destitute. Mm-hmm. He says, well, they need to be at least 60 and have no other family. But they're supposed to be women who hope in God mm. and have a reputation for good deeds. They're supposed to have raised their children well. They're supposed to have washed the feet of the saints. Mm. They're supposed to have been hospitable to outsiders. And they're supposed to have cared for the afflicted. Yeah. I'm like, wow, this is actually a really high calling. It's like It feels like more of a calling right. than just like a beneficence you know, right. or a benevolence campaign or a benevolence fund. Like This feels like... Right. A high position of honor in yeah. the church to be if a you're widow. In the, if you are, it's almost like a qualification for elder. Well, there are a lot of overlaps yeah. with the qualifications for elders and deacons parroted here in the yeah, qualification especially, for and, widows. And they're being they're being seen as worthy of honor to be paid, kind of like elders were. Oh, too. interesting. Yeah, and it's like he's saying, if you're supported as a widow of this church. It's because not only you're in need, but you have this deep character of godliness. Mm-hmm. I guess there, there might be an assumption there that you'll now be freed up to serve the church more. I wonder if that's yeah, the case. Because he wouldn't want them to be idle busybodies. He says right. that earlier. So it's interesting that there's so much parallel there, you know, that mm-hmm. the it's. I'm just, I'm curious. I'm just right. speculating yeah, yeah. that I just wonder if there is this sense that the people in the widow's ministry who should be there are actually some of the, like maybe the deaconesses or yeah some of the people who really do serve the church in a deep level and an, an yeah oh and, and the point is these younger women who are don't have the requisite character are stealing money from the women who really do deserve it who are really in need and who are super godly right what i thought you were going to say was these younger widows are having more authority in the church right oh. and that's sowing discord when the these godly older widows, hmm. if they had the space that the younger widows did, they would be more of a good influence on the oh, church. Oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah. And it's like so they're messing everything up. The household is out of order. Yeah. yeah not yeah. only are the poor widows not being taken care of, they're actually not able to take the place of prominence in the church that they should have. Hmm, that's and, interesting. And like so godliness. The the other interesting wrinkle here is that because he adds like these moral commands for the widows who should be on the list mm-hmm. and all these moral prohibitions, like don't be idlers, don't be busybodies to to the women who shouldn't be on the list. It goes back to this idea that the household of God should be something that the Roman Empire can look into and see something they want to be a part of. Right. These widows are washing the feet of everybody. Mm. They have a reputation for being hospitable and caring for the afflicted. Like these are like outward facing public acts of hospitality and service that would actually make the household of God look like the household of God, look right. like God lives there. Yes. And the, the widows yeah. who should have nobody are being provided for by people that aren't their fathers, not their sons, not their daughters, yeah. yet they can live freely, and they serve those people by washing the afflicted's yeah. feet. How could you be mad at that? How could you it's be mad at that? It's too beautiful to be mad at. Wouldn't you want to be a part of it? Yeah, and on the flip side, the picture they're giving now is not helping 
That's because right. you have women who could remarry and who aren't as destitute, mm-hmm. uh, and they're freeloading. Right. And causing disruption. And that's plain to everybody on the outside. Like, these women are clearly taking advantage of your system, and you're just letting it happen. Yeah, it's like, I wouldn't want to be a part of that. It seems corrupt and lazy. Right. Yeah. Okay, so the reputation of the church is on the line. The reputation in the of the church is ministry. on the line. Okay, cool. And I think that's the same thing that's on the line when it comes to elders and when it comes to slaves as mm-hmm. well. The reputation of the church is on the line and how widows, elders, and slaves conduct themselves. Yeah. Before we jump into that, I think it would be interesting for us to like meditate on the gospel for widows mm-hmm. like, like we have for a second. And um, I mean, there's a couple ways to do that. I think one would be to speak to widows, right? Yeah. It's almost guaranteed someone listening to this podcast is a widow. Yeah. Um, like my mom is a widow, mm-hmm. you know, and like it's a huge part of how she views herself in the world mm-hmm. is Jesus is my husband and he's all I need. And like it's a it's a beautiful thing. Yeah. Like, when a widow marries herself to Jesus mm-hmm. in full dependence. Like yeah. it's a very beautiful thing. And like again and again, she'll just randomly talk about how her husband provided for her through some crazy thing you know and so i think the good news for widows is no matter how needy you are no matter destitute you are there's a great husband for you in Mm -hmm. jesus like and he wants to marry you he loves you he died for you he has you're on his list yeah you're (laughs) there it is like you're on jesus's widow care list and he wants to provide for you and continue to form you into the godly woman that you are and to bless others. I think that's yeah. like so cool. I think the other way to talk about it is putting ourselves in the shoes of widows. Okay. Kind of like we do with Israel. It's like is- Israel as a whole was a widow. Mm-hmm. They were needy, destitute, and without any hope for yeah. providing for themselves. And I think probably for y- you and I and maybe other guys listening, um, we're like, I'm not a widow. <laughs> that's how I said <laughs> That's how you I? talk. <laughs> you know, but it's like, it's like, it's such an interesting it's also the same kind of uncomfortable thing that happens whenever you tell a guy that he's the bride of christ you know? right 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 it's like what what if you viewed yourself as a widow mm-hmm. who had no one and nothing and you were I all mean, alone he at one point he says there these widows they are dead self-indulgent and dead even while they live like that's that's us right self-indulgent and dead even while we live apart yes. from apart from what Jesus has done for us. And Jesus comes to even widows like us, mm-hmm. undeserving widows, the ungodly widows. Yeah. <laughs> and he says, I want to marry you, and I want you to come help put my household in order. Mm-hmm. So the reputation of the church is on the line not just in the way that widows conduct themselves and are cared for, but also in the way that the leaders of the church, the elders, Mm -hmm. are both appointed and corrected. Okay. So we already know that some of the elders are guilty of false teaching. Yeah, and and maybe have already been excommunicated. Excommunicated, yeah. Alexander and Hymenaeus have been told have been handed over to Satan. Yeah, the coppersmith have been handed over to Satan. They've been kicked out of the church. Okay. And presumably they still have some influence so timothy has to deal with that right there's a power vacuum and yeah. the church needs leaders they need older men they need to hire them select them yep and here's some advice for that there's some advice for that okay the first thing is how to treat elders who are doing a good job okay, <laughs> okay. which is great a great place to start yeah let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor especially those who labor in preaching and teaching for the scripture says you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain and the laborer deserves his wages so interesting note this is one of the few times in Scripture where you have an Old Testament text and a New Testament text right next to each other and both referred to as Scripture. Mm. So, you shall not muzzle an ox is from Deuteronomy 25. The laborer deserves wages, is what Jesus said in, as recorded in Matthew and Luke. Uh, but Paul is saying both of those are Scripture. scripture. Yes. So a big development in the view of the canon of the New Testament. Yeah, so fun. Fun little side note. Side note. But the first thing he says, okay, Timothy, when you're dealing with your leaders of your church, you should pay them well. They're, oh, okay. they're worthy of double honor. They, right. you sh- they should be honored as the fathers, as the elders of the church who are laboring and preaching and teaching. You should pay them, especially knowing all the false teaching that's going on. Yeah. They're laboring, striving, toiling, working hard to do what? To be godly and to preach the truth, and that's hard. You should pay them. I guess it's a presumption that maybe the preachers and pastors at this church weren't paid or weren't paid well. Yeah, 
Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and he uses this Old Testament text, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. Yeah. I mean, the the hermeneutical jumps <laughs> that Paul takes to get here are fascinating. Amazing. But he's talking about, okay, there's this Old Testament law that says when your ox is doing work, treading mm-hmm. out the grain, hooked up to this thing, moving in a circle with a heavy millstone, crushing grain, that's hard work for the ox. Yep. Don't put a muzzle on its mouth that won't let it eat while it's working. Instead, make sure you put a feed bag on your ox whenever it's treading out the grain mm-hmm. to make sure it's fed while it's doing hard work. Or it can eat the corn that falls on the ground. Yeah, eat the corn that falls on the ground. Like, like treat your animal ethic- ethically. The one <laughs> right. doing the hard <laughs> yeah. work, make sure he's fed. Yeah. And so he makes this, this jump. jump. Like, what's the principle there? Those who work hard doing good deserve to be able to eat. Mm-hmm. So you have pastors working hard and elders working hard in your church make sure they can eat pay I, them well i'd have to go back and remember it but one part of the temple is the called the sea into okay. a whole bunch of water and it was on the back of 12 oxen and i believe it was 12 oxen somebody can correct me but the idea is that oxen animals represent the leaders of israel oh the leaders of the 12 tribes of israel they're, they're holding up the, the the nations they're holding oh, up the people of god so yeah. in a similar sen- situation here like the ox are the people of god they're the leaders of god's kingdom and they should eat yeah. as they're doing the task of leading like anyway i just, see so there might have been some kind of history behind this that elders might have been called the oxes of the congregation yeah well in the original in solomon's temple the leaders were depicted as oxen yeah that's what so, yeah, 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 yeah i wonder if that yes. carried over i i, I bet it did we should start calling our church's elders the ox the, o- <laughs> the ox of the church <laughs> Okay, okay, cool. So that's what you do with the good ones. Yes. You feed them. You feed them. <laughs> and you presume their innocence. Oh, right. Yeah, if First, somebody brings a slander against them, you don't go like, oh, well, we better fire him then. Yeah, do not admit a charge against an elder except in the evidence of two or three witnesses. So, yeah, like presume their innocence, pay them well. Another thing that could be happening here is that because of the influence of Hymenaeus and Alexander, mm-hmm. because of poor leadership in the past, the people are just presuming the worst right all church leaders they don't deserve to be paid there shouldn't be a leadership structure here because uh. all church leaders are bad and paul's like hold on hold on no no sin's a real thing let's not just do away with all leadership because somebody said something wrong yeah. on the evidence of two or three witnesses do we start evaluating whether or not an elder has been disqualified from leadership that happens all the time all the time i mean in the church world and in the business world it's like some corrupt thing happens at a company the cfo is laundering funds or something yep. And it's like, you know what? Just fire the whole C-suite. Right. It's like, wait, did you see if anybody else was guilty or party to that? No, it's just clean. It's just better. If it's we just, easier to do that. Right. Then do the investigation. And Paul's like, no, we love people and there are fathers mm-hmm. and we don't just fire our fathers for no reason. Yeah. <laughs> right. That's right. Yeah, that's interesting. But I, that also happens in the church where it's just like all the time. Yeah. I mean, you well, you said that with a lot of weight. Yeah. <laughs> you know more stories <laughs> yeah. than I do as yeah. a former pastor. And, it's, and then he goes on to say... To not show partiality. Yeah. So like there's there's a sense that you can be biased against church leaders. Like Timothy could be biased against yeah. the church leaders that were there before him. Yeah. I mean, yeah, this says a lot to us today where it's like we, we've all seen a fallen pastor. Yeah. Right. Somebody we respect in the church who messed it up. Mm-hmm. And it's easy to maybe do what some of the people in Timothy's church wanted to do and just write the whole thing off. Why even have leaders in the church, especially male leaders? Right. They're so corrupt. It's like, wait, do you know that they're all corrupt? What's Don't the pro- show partiality. He's like, here's the process to go through Timothy mm. to like mitigate some of those risks, but also hear the complaints of your people well. Um, and so then what do you do with people who have been found to be guilty? Well, they persist in sin. Rebuke them in the presence of all. Make it public. Right. Which, again, like, remember, the reputation of the church is on the line. Yeah, so, he's not saying sweep it under the rug. No. So if you have bad leaders who are taking advantage of people, like, or whatever. Call it out. Or call it out. Let the whole world see the problems right. within your church. Rebuke it publicly. And then move on so that the rest right. may stand in fear. But that only happened after the credible witness of two or three witnesses mm-hmm. came. They found out that it was true. And yeah. then they paid the piper. Yeah. It wasn't just like, you know what, let's just throw the baby out with the bathwater. Right. And we had Hymenaeus and Alexander. They were bad apples, mm-hmm. so throw out the bunch. Right. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. And then it was interesting. He says, do all this in the presence of two or three witnesses. 
only admit a charge. You trying to go back to Deuteronomy again? Uh, against two or three witnesses. But then again, <laughs> in, verse 21, in verse 21, he says, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus mm. and the elect angels. Three witnesses. Oh, in the presence of God, interesting. Christ Jesus, and the elect angels, I charge you to keep these rules without prejudging and without partiality. Without prejudging? Yeah. Well, that's the ESV's translation wow. that I'm staring at right now. That so, like, is really cool. Don't go with your own gut, Timothy. Mm. Evaluate the evidence fairly. And move forward from Man. there. So I mean, a hard Timothy's got a hard job. He's got a hard job. And yeah. then he says, "Don't be hasty in laying on hands." Which means the that's that's how they appointed the elders was yeah. the laying on of hands to say yeah. you're an elder now. That's so right. saying, you've said this before. Good cultures hire slow and fire fast. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so don't be too hasty laying on your hands. And if you see that they've actually committed some kind of gross misconduct, mm-hmm. call it out. Right. The reputation of the church is on the line. The reputation of the church is on the line. And I think that's confirmed by verse 24 and 25. The sins of some people are conspicuous. that They go before them, and some people's sins appear later. Don't be hasty, because you may not see their bad deeds until later on. Mm-hmm. But in the same way, good works are also conspicuous. And even good works that aren't immediately seen will eventually show up. Why be slow in appointing new leaders? Because... Good works are bad works are always found out, and mm. so are good works. Right. You want time to see the character of the men you're putting in charge. Yeah. And then from that, appoint your leaders for the church. Why? The reputation of the church is on the line. We right. want the reputation of the church to be conspicuously full of good works. The reputation of the widows should be of good works and hospitality. The uh, reputation of the leaders should be the same. Mm. So what's the good news there for this like word to elders? I guess part of it is the continued idea that godly people of character, when placed in a church, save the world. Mm-hmm. You know, like they're like I think that's still part of the good news of the church. The church is the only institution that we're told that will never fail. Right. The gates of hell will not withstand against the church of God. Yeah. When godly men and women of character in, embody the gospel, live godly lives lead and serve well the world is saved that's good news the the power of the church but also i guess the good news is that this is jesus he's the good leader yeah he's the head of the house yeah he's the one who uh shows no partiality who is always above reproach Mm -hmm. who can never be slandered or proven guilty that no matter if every pastor failed Mm -hmm. jesus is the head of the household Mm -hmm. and his innocence is unimpeachable is just above reproach mm-hmm. always and that's why the church will never fail is because it's the head of it the dad of the house the, you know our father yeah. god is above reproach always also thinking that one of the things the pharisees failed to do mm. when they accused jesus was to gather two or three witnesses right they they manufactured false witnesses but they could not make an accusation stick, and they had to depend on mob rule. So Timothy and his leadership of the church should not repeat the sins of the Pharisees, mm. right? Like right, yeah. The Pharisees, they did not listen to this rule, Timothy, and they yeah. crucified Jesus. Right. Maybe the stakes aren't as high in your church. Right. But like you can still make the same mistake the Pharisees mm-hmm. did by not following that protocol you could be condemning and falsely accusing godly men yeah if you're not following through with like getting the evidence right <laughs> before you take the them off story. the elder team yeah okay all right last stop on our tour of the household is everyone's favorite the slaves the slaves <laughs> it's i always feel like i take a deep breath yep. before we get to the slave commands but here we go let me just read it it's only two verses okay let all who are under a yoke of as bond servants as slaves regard their masters as worthy of all honor so that the name of god and the teaching may not be reviled again just notice the reputation of the church is on the line mm-hmm. this, this is what's on the line for paul those who have believing masters must not be disrespectful on the ground that they are brothers. Think So what he's saying here is Christian masters and Christian slaves are actually brothers in Christ. And that's true. Right. But that's not a reason to disrespect your master. Mm. That's what he's saying. Yeah. Rather, Christian slaves must serve 
all the better since those who benefit by their good service are believers and beloved. Hmm. So the reputation of the church is on the line. Okay. And part of every Roman household were slaves. We've talked at length about the nature of the difference Romans. between indentured economic slavery and race-based slavery. Uh, we've talked about that a lot. Yes. Um, you can listen to our previous podcast to hear us unpack that. Yeah. But the most basic thing that's on the line here is Paul is admitting the equality and familial relationship between slaves and masters. Mm-hmm. You are brothers in Christ. Right. That's just true. And slaves, you are right to point it out. Right. But just because you are brothers that doesn't automatically erase your social distinctions right now. Right. And the way that you live within that those social categories actually can harm the reputation of the church. Right. Even though you slaves are brothers of your masters, I need you to treat them with honor so that the name of God and the teaching may not be reviled. Because yeah. if inside the household of God, Inside Christian Roman homes, mm-hmm. you had slaves revolting. Mm-hmm. That would be like such a bad omen for right. the Christian church, and they would get such a bad rap in the Roman society that no one would want to have anything to do with them. They'd yeah. be like, you are going to erode our, the fabric of Roman society, Christians, because you're calling your slaves brothers, and now they don't respect their masters. The order is upset. Mm-hmm. The empire is going to fall. No one wants yeah. to be a part of your church. It's such a strange like truth to just get to understand. When yeah. Christians said that slaves and masters are brothers, the Roman world would have heard danger. Right. Slaves do not exist. Slaves are property. They do not have legal status. In a Christian home, they are brothers with their master. Co-heirs. That breaks the entire Roman social structure. That's right. And so... What's fascinating is Paul has to, to walk this crazy line. He's like, yeah. okay, the Roman social structure is broken. Right. Jesus is emperor. Yes. And the Roman social structure no longer works. Slaves are now brothers. But knowing all that, how do we still live here? Yeah. <laughs> knowing that the social situation will not change now, how do we still live here? Mm-hmm. Let respect govern your relationships in hopes that more Romans might be won over to the countercultural home of Jesus. Well, I mean, just imagine the picture of a Roman looking into the Christian church and seeing the way a master would treat a slave, and maybe they even called themselves brothers. Mm-hmm. It's like, hey, brother, I need you to do this with me today. And he's like, absolutely, brother. And he's like, what just happened? He's like, you guys are talking to each other as equals, but he's still honoring Occupying you. the he's, same role? Yeah, he's still honoring you as his master, even though he's your brother. What's going on? I have to learn more about this. That would just be so attractive. Mm-hmm. He's like, you're not upsetting my Roman sensibilities, but you're making me question them. Right. Like, <laughs> which is just so interesting. That's what the countercultural way of the kingdom does. That's what it does to people. Yeah. It just draws them in. And I think I think people are right to point out that Paul lays the seeds for the abolition of slavery yeah. when he makes comments he like does. that. He does, just he's like not, in Philemon. He's not making a case that slaves should be emancipated from their masters and abolish the Roman social system or the Roman slavery system. Yeah. Cause that's not the point. That's not, uh, that's not his point. The but point the is the groundwork's there. The groundwork's there. But yeah. the point is the kingdom of God can be maybe a different way to say it. Slaves had a radically important job in the kingdom of God's expansion. Like mm. the way masters and slaves treat each other is a demonstration of the truth of the gospel and the godliness it requires. And that will change the Roman Empire. Mm. It will undo the social structures they might suffer under, have suffered under previously. Yeah. Can, you know you, what I mean? can, can you unpack that? Like the, <laughs> the, sla- the way a slave treats his master is an example of the gospel and can change the Roman Empire. Can you unpack yeah. that statement? Yeah, I mean, I think it's easy to begrudgingly obey your master ah. because you owe him a debt. Right. I put myself in servitude to you for the tune of 50,000 Roman lira denarii whatever whatever (laughs) the currency is that will take 25 years to pay off Mm. i'm going to punch my clock and i'm going to go home you can serve your master that way right that's yeah and that's probably the way most slaves obey most of their masters right there is a higher way to behave Mm. that jesus christ himself became a slave he died so that you may live i think i'm seeing what you're what you're getting at now because it's like jesus calls us his brother. He made us brothers. He was our brother. But he's the master but he's of the, the house. He's also the master of the house. 
who's also our brother, and yet he didn't have to become a slave, but he did. Mm-hmm. And he became obedient, not just to a master, but he became obedient to death, as Philippians 2 says. Yeah. That is the kind of life that the good high calling the mystery of godliness Mm -hmm. that jesus now calls slaves he's like you can repeat the gospel every day Mm -hmm. when you go into work yeah because yeah you're a brother now you've been given just as i had a higher status Mm -hmm. and yet you can willingly choose to become a slave and to serve Mm -hmm. in order to show the world what i did like that's amazing. You can yeah. literally be a picture of the gospel. That, is that yeah. what you meant? Yeah, that's okay. right. That's right. You're that's li- cool. you're living you're living out a picture of the gospel yeah. in a way that would be difficult. It's easier difficult. to resent to your master. That's it's right. Easy to go to punch the clock. Yes, which I think is a really good note to make. It's just like the Christian life was never meant to be easy. Jesus proved it when he right. said it was founded on the back of suffering and the hard choice and going to death. Yeah, and so he's like, like I think I've I've heard people like I just can't imagine God calling. A slave to do that mm. he's, like, he's not asking us to do anything he didn't do for us like right you know like yeah he's not telling us to do anything we didn't do for us but the, the implication is i can't imagine why paul wouldn't just abolish the whole social system oh right, right. like yes that's like the there's an thing. implication that like no the only reasonable thing to do is just have nothing to do with the system okay yeah, yeah. and eventually that happens right but also you can show the gospel maybe even more clearly right through submission and obedience because that's what Jesus did. Especially when your master is a fellow Christian. Right. That's also what kind of transforms this argument, yes. th- this this conversation. What happens when you've entered into agreement with a master of yours based on an old social hierarchy that's transformed by your spiritual relationship with one another, mm. but you still owe him 30,000 denarii <laughs> and 10 years of, of work? Right. Well, what happens in that situation? Yep. Um, I... And Paul's trying to answer that question, you know. Yeah. And the good news is, it can be a picture of Jesus. Yes. It can undermine the Roman social structure mm. and save people. Yeah, that's amazing. And so I guess we've already kind of said the good news of this part, which is that Jesus, though he was a brother, though he was the master of the house, he became a slave uh, to pay our indentured debt mm-hmm. <laughs> and free us and make us brothers, elevate us out of slavery. Yeah. Uh, and he did that willingly. And so no matter what our station in life is, we can go low, be humble, serve others, because we know in doing so we are imaging the greatest mystery of godliness ever, which is Christ crucified. Mm-hmm. And through that, saving the world. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's cool. Well, thank you guys so much for joining us today. This yeah. was fun. Um, uh, I guess we'll wrap up First Timothy next week. Wrap up First Timothy next week Chapter and talk six. about contentment. Ooh, contentment. What all the That's Buddhists good. want. What all the Buddhists <laughs> want. Okay. okay. And Christians. And Christians. And Christians. Yeah, I think we all want contentment. All, yeah. all of us do. Okay, well, we will see you guys next week um, in First Timothy 6, and we'll talk about contentment. Excited about that. So thank you for joining us, and we will see you next week. Thank you for listening to the Spoken Gospel Podcast. Spoken Gospel creates short films, devotionals, and podcasts like this one. Everything we make is free because of generous supporters like you. To see our resources, visit SpokenGospel.com or subscribe to our YouTube channel. Thanks for listening. See you next week.